you may be familiar with, some of you may, may not. But this is, a, this is a new term to me, and it's called intellectual assent to truth. Okay, it may be a, a big word for some of you, but how many of you know what intellectual assent to truth means? I'm going to ask him to, uh, to play a video to illustrate the, uh, the point. Does it play? What you looked at is the, uh, a video that was recorded in uh, April 17th, uh, April 17th, 2017, at uh, 5 o'clock in the evening at Yosemite Falls. In the rain, it was wet and cold. It was on the cold side. And we just finished eating early dinner that night and had to walk it off. It was cloudy, it was getting darker by the minute, and we can hear the rushing water falling louder and louder as we approach the fall. Can you play it again, Hung? Huh? Yeah, you know, the, the reason I brought up the detail, I described it in, in the minute detail. <clears throat> What's the purpose? What's the point? I'm trying to ascend you to the experience that myself, my wife, Chuming and Gungan were there at the fall. And every detail attributes to how each of us perceived the Yosemite fall. This is what intellectual ascent means. It is a relative term, meaning everyone assent to the truth is at some degree different to the extent the external conditions and also the internal conditions permit or prevent he or she from assessing the object being observed. What are the external conditions? The environment, right? For example, your experience coming to the service today, no, no, who cut in front of you? or how hot the temperature was, or how cold it is, what kind of food you ate, the drink you took. See, these are the external conditions, these are the external environments that affect you now that you're sitting here. So you come into this service with a lot of experiences, right? Being experienced, I mean, being influenced by the external conditions. But not only that, you are, you are affected by the internal conditions. How do you feel at this moment? Some of you feel sleepy. Some of you just had a, you know, had a good meal. So you come in here kind of, oh, I'm getting ready to sleep, right? So uh, I'm, 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 I'm hoping you, you, you're getting uh, the point I'm, I'm, I'm trying to illustrate here, is that the message today, how it comes to you or how it you know, becomes meaningful to you, is being affected by all these conditions, external conditions and also the internal conditions. So I just want you to keep that in mind as we get into the message. And actually, this message is, uh, is influenced by, uh, by one of the journey uh, talk last week. And um, she mentioned that you should be aware of the choices you made and why you should make those choices. And yesterday, listen to, listening to, to Nguyen talking to the kids, 
I was given the message <clears throat> to consider the children. You know, oftentimes, uh, <clears throat> the message that I think when I compose it, I just think about the, <clears throat> I just hope that people can understand. But I never really considered the children. And uh, when, you know, Pastor Paul was talking to the children yesterday, I, I noticed, hey, God is giving them the same mind as all the adults. Even though these minds cannot comprehend, cannot understand everything that is spoken here, but they are absorbing, absorbing all these. <clears throat> so to start out, I went to, to command all the, all the little ones. Who are the little ones around here? <clears throat> you are the little one. Oh, gosh. Yes, I'm talking to you, little ones. You are commended for your patience, you know, in uh, putting up with me today. You know, that strange-looking guy, old guy, saying things that you can't understand. I can empathize with you because I remember my uh, first Catholic uh, confession preparation. I was told to sit with hundreds of other kids, listening to the priest saying things that I couldn't understand. After a few sessions, I skipped and went to, to the open markets by the church, watching people gambling. I had a great time until one day my mom tested me on what I, what I was supposed to know. Then I had to tell her the truth. I couldn't remember anything. You know, I couldn't walk straight from the next week after that incident. So I, I understand some of you are in that predicament. You know, you come here, sit down. You don't really understand what's going on. You don't really understand the message. But I promise you, the Lord will make it known to you. He will illuminate your mind. You know, the purpose of my talk is to build up and or to rebuild the foundational knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ in you. Because this is so critical because this will determine the course of your outlook in life and your destination of your soul. So is your mind ready? Are you ready to engage? Let's turn to Psalm chapter 19, verse 1 and 2. Psalm chapter 19, verse 1 and 2. It says, The heaven declare, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showed his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There's no speech nor language where the voice is not heard. Do I need to explain this? Isn't, isn't it wonderful that we serve a God who makes things so clear and so explicit? That he never left us. He never left himself without witness. Then in Acts chapter 14, verse 17, it says, Nevertheless, he left not himself without witness, in that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling, the hearts, filling our hearts with food and gladness. So the question is, why, why does man not believe in God? Why? Why don't we... Even those who claim to be Christians don't really believe in God. Why? Anyone to guess? Let's start with the text. In Psalm chapter, 20, uh, chapter 92, verse 5 and 6. It said, O Lord, how great are thy works, and thy thoughts are very deep. A brutish man knoweth not, neither doth a fool understand this. A brutish man knoweth not, neither doth a fool understand this. What is brutish? Does anyone, who know, does anyone know what brutish is? Come on, guys. 
brutish. Thank you. <laughs> I'll be practical. You know, every one of you probably have one of these, right? No, you don't? Okay. Okay, you're excused. <laughs> but for any one of you who has a device like what I'm holding in my hand or on your laptop, there's no excuse for you not to know what things mean. I'm serious. Because these devices, the reason why God allowed technology to advance so much is that <clears throat> there's no excuse. You know that? Everything that God allows to be, to exist, is so that you and I have no excuse about understanding, about knowing what he meant. A brutish is a senseless, a beast. <clears throat> I'm here to tell you the unbelief. Where does unbelief come from? Anyone with a guess? Brutish, beast, senseless. What does it mean? Someone who doesn't think or doesn't have the, capi- doesn't have the capac- capacity to think. What do you expect from a dog or a worm or an ant? You don't expect much from them, right? But when I, when I talk to, to an audience of human beings, what do you expect? What do you expect from human beings? Thinking, right? Reasoning, think. You know, all odds are against us. Why? Let me walk through the stages of a human body development, okay? Just sit back and, and walk through with me through the stages of, of the development of our human body. From the point of conception to old birth, I mean to an old man. I want for you to think about what at each stage does this body respond to or what can it do? Okay, con- conception stage. From conception to right before birth. What do you expect from the embryo? Not much, right? The embryo response is only known to the mother, right? It can't really interact with, any, with, with anyone else. The second stage is the infant. As an infant from, from uh, you know, the first year, what do you expect from the baby? Poop, cry, eat, drink milk, right? Can you expect the baby to believe in something? You can, right? The next stage is preschool, three to five. Well, science is saying that, you know, by the time you, you're three, you have known everything there's to know. I doubt that. I really doubt that. But that's what, you know, that's, that's what science is, is quoting. Even at preschool, what do you expect? They still can follow direction, right? They start being able to follow direction. Now, school age, which is from six to 12, elementary. You know what I, what I call this stage? is called elementary resistance. Then you get into middle school, you become better resistance, okay? Another term for that is being stupid. <laughs> not yet, not yet. The next phase is high school. I call it high resistance. It's called the stupidest. <laughs> Actually, a Baptist preacher once, you know, said teenager is one of the most stupid, the most stupid age there is. The next stage is college, and I call this sophisticated resistance. Now you become resisting, but you become more sophisticated. The next stage would be adult, and it's called stubbornness. Stubbornness level one to end, and you know where you are. And when you get an old man like me, there's a phase where you can't teach old dog new tricks. And we start going back to the early phases of life. 
So let me ask you, when can a person actually get off the brutish or foolish state? You know, on the trip to uh, Yosemite and, and Tahoe, Chiming and I had long conversations. And one of, one of the things that we brought up was, uh, you know, most of us, half the time we don't think. Is that true? We don't think. We make decisions based on impulse. We say we believe this and that, we believe in Jesus and God and all that, but our action demonstrates the opposite. You know, it, it really manifests the fact that we don't really think. What is brutish? Brutish, a beast showing little intelligence or sensibility. So we just cover unbelief as the premises, as the foundation of human nature, right? Now let's look at unbelief in the, in the Garden of Eden. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 and 28. Thank you. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Let me ask you, does this sound like someone who is brutish or foolish? Does it? Of course not. In the image of God, in the image of God, can you imagine that? You know that we cannot fathom this even if we spend the whole lifetime trying to figure it out. In the image of God. What does that mean? You know, this is the awesomeness about the scripture that we need to pay attention to. You just don't approach the Bible with your mental shoes. And by this I mean pre-notions or pre-prejudice that you have about it. You better take them off because you are on the holy ground. Take Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, for example. In the beginning, God created the heaven and earth. Have you any clue what is hidden in that verse? In the beginning, God created the heaven and earth. You know, Darwin, Charles Darwin, forfeited his faith because he, he forgot this verse. So Adam and Eve were created perfect, right? You and I are brutish. We are cursed. We have no capacity to think or to act or to, to be anywhere close to Adam and Eve. But ah, why did they fall by disobeying? Have you thought about that? You know, for the past year, I've been stuck with this. Really stuck with this. Here are two persons who are created in the image of God, who are perfectly created. What's wrong? What is the real significance of disobeying? One says that he knows better. He just usurped the authority of the one who gave him the commandment. You know what usurp is? When you usurp someone else's authority, what does it mean? You usurp. Usurp is not what's up. It's usurp. Usurp, the definition is illegally taking over someone else's responsibility. Or authority, I mean. Usurp. That's why in the news, and in, 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 you, know, in, uh, you hear these things about people usurping their, you know, Children, when you disobey your parents, what you are actually doing, you are robbing them of their God-given authority. You see how society is downplaying the seriousness of disobedience. Ah, it's just a human weakness, they say. No, this single act, you started down the slippery slope of committing all the evils awaiting you. 
the other issue is that Adam doesn't even think about robbing God until his eyes are open. You know that. I don't think Adam even think about, oh, I'm going to rob God of this of his authority. I don't think even that even come into his mind. You know, all he could think of was how good looking that forbidden fruit was. He didn't think about the action nor the consequence. And this is a trouble with sin in general. Now I put the category of sin and unbelief in the same category because why one, actually, the culprit of sin is unbelief. Because unbelief opens the door for everything else. Let's look at James chapter 1 verse 14. I think this go, it goes right in. James chapter 1 verse 14 said, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Does this sound like beastly or brutishly behavior? It's not human created in the image of God, is it? The real trouble with sin is that it deceives you into thinking that you have considered all the possible outcome. Before taking any action, we always consider the cause, don't we? Don't tell me that a person committing a sin never thought about it. But the issue is that the problem is beyond the level of expertise. We don't know all that there is to know. This can only belong to God. And this is what it means by Psalms 92, verse 6 above. Okay, now let's go to the unbelief in our daily walk. How you and I are repeating the same mistake. Let's look at uh, Mark chapter 8, verse 36. In our daily walk, do we imitate Christ or the world? For said, for what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and loses his own soul? Let's look at an illustration. When was the last time you observed a homeless person? A day ago? You know, last week while waiting uh, at the stoplight, I observed a homeless person who was driving a motorcycle, turned into a truck, a truck hauling all his belongings. You know, I, I, I looked at that and, and I just chuckled and I thought to myself, man, this guy is a genius. He's an engineer by heart. Well, what is your impression of someone who's homeless? You know, Lem told me one time that he likes to be one of those persons. And I jokingly said, oh, I wouldn't recommend it. But let me ask you, what is the difference between the homeless person and the richest man on earth? What is it? The difference between the homeless person and the richest man on earth is the hard fact of uncertainty of life versus an illusion of a secure life. You hear that? The hard fact of uncertainty of life versus an illusion of a secure life. Let's look at Jesus' words again. This is so profound. Now, does the richest man have the whole earth? The richest man on earth right now is, I think, is Bill Gates. He's still, isn't he? Does he own the whole earth? Does he own the whole world? He doesn't. Jesus is not talking about the, the richest man on earth. He's talking about the one who owns the whole earth. There's no such a person. You see, we are being deceived by this world into thinking about what life is all about. You know, a good education, a good sport, a good job, a nice family luxurious car, house, you name it. All you want is to make life comfortable. Now I'm just giving you some headings. So let your imagination roam and you will see why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. 
again, we're being tricked into finding our own way back to Eden, isn't it? You know, this is a favorite quote from uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones. He said, each time we, we think we can get in, guess what happens? What happens when we try to get back into the Garden of Eden? Amen. Genesis chapter 3, verse 24. So he drove out the man, and he placed the east of the Garden of Eden, cherubims, and a flaming sword, which turned away, which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Does this make sense to you? Okay, let's move on to unbelief in civilization. You know, we are the product of our environment, are we not? In fact, the, 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 the term civilization, if we go back in time and trace its history, we will see that it is man's, as a race, concerted attempt to re-enter Eden. And every advancement is attempt to improve life on this earth. It is God's mandate. It is God's mandate that man rule over the earth, but it is sin when he tries to do it without God. Just like in Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 9, who says, The wise men are ashamed, and they are dismayed and taken. Lord, they have rejected the word of the Lord, and what wisdom is in them. You see what happened? When we reject the word of God, our chances of getting out from being brutish is over, because that's where we started. And the only thing that can get us out of the being brutish or being beast is the word of God. So what must we, we do? We're in a big predicament, aren't we? What shall we do? Let's go back to Psalm chapter 92, starting verse 1 and 2. Psalm chapter 92, verse 1 and 2. It is a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord, and, sing, and to sing praises unto thy name, O Most High, to show forth thy loving kindness in the morning, and thy faithfulness every night. Why do we need to be thankful? Why do we need to be thankful? The first reason is that because we may plan, but God decides how it's going to turn out. You know, we have the saying, man proposes and God disposes. Right? That is second from Psalm, I mean from Proverbs 19:21. It said, There are many devices in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord shall stand. You now we are restless, aren't we? I was taking pictures of all of you yesterday. And sure enough, I caught billion performing football hurdling and jumping jack. You know, these wonderful new cameras that take pictures where it also takes the motion, like, you know, a couple seconds of motion before, you know, it takes a picture. And you can see everyone's movement. But we are always planning something without thinking about God. You know, we forget several things. You know, how much our time is left on God's clock. You know, we don't think about that, do we? Whether he gives us the health that we have today. You know, the older you get, you will be more sensitive to, to this. You know, like my eyes are not getting used, you know, they're not used to be what they were. And the third point is our minds and our bodies are constantly changing, you know that? Such that what you love to do one moment will no longer be, will no longer be true the next. This is how our mind works. This brings me to the scariest thing about unbelief. And I'm going to close with this. Intellectual assent to truth will not chase your unbelief away. You know that? It always lurks around the corner. I'm going to show you the scriptures to back it off. Look at Luke chapter 16, 19 to 31. You know, I've always struggled with this reasoning. That if I'm convinced without a doubt that the Son of God walked the earth and did what he did, I will certainly make him, make myself a believer or convince someone to be a believer. Have you had those thoughts? 
You know, the reason that person doesn't believe in God is something that he doesn't get, right? But the Bible is against those kind of reasoning. Let's look at Luke chapter 16, verse 19 to 31. But I'm just going to quote a couple of verses, verse 30 and 31. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if, you were, if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded. The one rose from the dead. You remember the, the parable of the Lazarus and, and, and the rich man, right? They both died. Lazarus, I mean, the rich man was in hell, crying out to Abraham, Can you have Lazarus dip his finger and give me some drop of water? And the response was no. But then the rich man asked, Can you send someone from, back from the dead to warn them? And what does the scripture say? Even if I send someone back from the dead, they will not believe. The second example, Jesus Christ did walk the earth, did perform the miracles that are beyond human comprehension, right? The kind of miracles that Jesus did during his day was like unbelievable. Guess what? On the day of crucifixion, how many were there? How many said they believe in him? There must be thousands, even tens of thousands that he touched, that his own miracle healed them. He not only touched them physically, but he probably touched them mentally, touched their souls. You know, the power of unbelief is unbelievable. That's why I hope that you get from this message is that it is impossible for us by ourselves to have any hope of coming to Christ. You see countless of examples of those who've been touched by, by, by Christ. And then in the end, guess what? They don't know who he is. So there must be something else that's going to hold you. There's, there's going to be something else that must hold you to Christ. And that's all I have to share. Thank you.